Broadcasting live from an Airbnb, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my mothers, Mila, Louisa, and Taya. And this is our last episode covering Hagsploitation Horror. We are talking about the 2022 horror thriller Barbarian, directed by Zach Kreger. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In Barbarian, a young woman named Tess arrives in a rundown part of Detroit where she is staying the night before a job interview. She discovers that her rental home is already occupied by a young man named Keith, but is forced to stay and share the house due to the bad weather and the lack of alternative accommodation. She is wary of Keith, but he seems harmless and insists he will stay on the couch. Strange occurrences take place in the night, however, Tess and Keith decide to go investigate the basement. The pair discover what looks like a torture chamber and a hidden corridor and are suddenly attacked. Meanwhile, viewers learn that the Airbnb owner AJ is a hotshot movie star who is facing allegations of sexual assault. The legal payments are costly, so he travels to his Detroit rental to inspect it before selling. He too discovers the corridor and soon realizes the horrors that lurk within totally get that by the way i mean you don't know me and and this is a really weird situation it makes total sense um but i thought that um you know you might want some of this but if i open it while you weren't here that um that um i'm 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 sorry i'm rambling jesus christ um i thought you wouldn't want any if you didn't see me open it so i waited i'm good I would like to know, what is the dodgiest accommodation that you've ever stayed in? Like Airbnb, rental situation. Have you ever been in a place where you're like, "Mm, I'm fucked? The first place I lived in in London was disgusting. The shower was like... Say no more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But what was dodgy about it? Um, There were always people outside smoking like all day. Smoking? Smoking? Alert the church elders. Um, there were always people outside smoking. It like smelled. It was. It was just like there. There was always something going on. There were always big ass spiders everywhere. Who the fucking please the spiders? Shut up! Shut up! Just because I was like, what was dodgy about it? And you were like, fucking spider infestation. <laughs> it was just like it was a lot for me personally. Um, and I felt like the room was a bit small and like it was just dirty and there was like a layer of dirt. Like when I first arrived, they sent me to a room where there was like urine stains <laughs> on the mattress. And I was like, no. And then they were like, oh, we you can have a different room. Um, And then I switched and it was like a nicer room and everything looked fine. But like it was it was shitty. It was really shitty. Wouldn't do that again. Other than that, I'm not sure if I stayed in like a shady vacation place because I'm really good at choosing Airbnbs. I think that's a talent that I possess. Although I did have a weird Airbnb once in Korea where like the room itself wasn't weird, but it was like the key to the Airbnb was in a van in a parking lot. And it was like a deserted car garage. And she was like, go down and it's the third van and the key is in there with instructions to the Airbnb. And I was like, fuck. It was very weird. And I obviously like it's it's different from like when I come to London and I have like some reception usually. Well, first of all, I live here now, so I have a phone contract. So I come here and I don't have a problem. But it was like I didn't have any signal. So I was just in a parking garage at night because my flight landed at night going to a van to get the key because I was like, I don't really have a choice. Like it's that or sleep outside. 
the key was there and it, it was just very weird the circumstances it was like a unmarked black van could have definitely did that less creepily but yeah and she was like do you want me to order some food for you and i was like that is so nice um after putting me through what i thought was going to be the end can i just say this was your second story <laughs> this is the one that i led with <laughs> Um, but when I went up to the room, it was basically like two queen beds in a living room and with a kitchenette. And I was like, this is a weird setup, but okay. So you know how you don't get the directions to the house until you like book it? Like they won't give you the address, obviously, so you don't like break into their Airbnb. So I was going to, as we discussed prior to recording, Mexico in the year 2019. And I arrived at night, like Taya did, and got on a bus to the airbnb with my friend who is very tall so i felt good about the situation my head was also not fully formed i was not yet 25 i got on the bus i had to stand the whole like two hours um on the bus but it was just like one highway like it's going the right way so it was like totally fine but arrived at night and there was no um street lights and no uh they dropped us off on the side of the highway and we had like google maps but no exact like directions because the roads, not all the roads were like on the Google map. Like we knew we were on a road. We see our little blue dot, but like there's no road on the map. So we can like see us and we can see us relative to the Airbnb. But we're like walking and it's like stray dogs. We got like suitcases, right? Roller suitcases. I had two friends with me. So that's like fine. But as I was like walking down this like no street lights. Not even like a neighborhood, like truly side of the highway nonsense. I was like, this is how it happens. You know how it happens. This is how, right? Like I had that passing thought. It was very much like not a good idea. But when I did see everything in the light of day, I realized it was like totally fine. But it was just no lights. Like, well, there were like animals. There are like definitely animals that can get you out there. But we found the house and it was like beautiful and gorgeous. And I had a lovely vacation (laughs) eventually once I understood how to navigate this neighborhood. Airbnbs that are like, get the lockbox. I never trust that. Or you pick up the key from a person. That's also scary. In conclusion, always use a super host. You cannot be a super host if you have ever put a nanny cam and watched people had sex. That's what I believe. That would depend on if they found out about the nanny cam though. My dodgiest accommodation was my apartment that I lived in for, yeah, two years. Was it two years? Yeah, two years in London when I was in uni. We called it the hovel. And I wasn't good. The day we moved in, there was, like, police tape on the courtyard. And we were like, oh, no. Hmm. And to be fair, and I, I did witness crime. Like, I saw countless drug deals outside my window. And I also witnessed, like, a fair bit of domestic abuse slash heard it. I've done like couch surfing and to be fair there is like a certain amount of control you can have I would never stay with men and nothing ever felt like unsafe but there was a little bit of anxiety before I met them because I mean you just like you never know not like in terms of if the situation would be dangerous but just there's a certain awkwardness to just like turning up at someone's house monstrous feminine is on spotify so please go rate us and give us five stars follow and comment if you do engage with our content you might just get a shout out and our next episode is our witch of the week this episode our witch of the week is tiktos who commented on our second jennifer's body episode and said you blessed us today thank you 
so glad y'all enjoyed that bonus app. Oh, thank you. I didn't even realize until very recently that you could comment on Spotify episodes. Everyone should go leave us a Spotify comment and you could be our next Witch of the Week as well and we would love you as much as TikToks. Thank you so much, TikToks, for commenting on Spotify. You are the, the first person, I think, to do that. So you'll forever be our favorite person and hold a special place in our hearts and our memories. And we hope you are having the best year full of all the great things that life has to offer and that you really enjoyed this episode and many more blessings your way. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5, you get all that, plus the opportunity to pick our themes, films, and discussion points. Please support us. Any contribution helps. If I showed up to Airbnb and Bill Skarsgård was there, you would have to pay me to leave. I liked this movie. I think it's very <laughs> camp, honestly, because they seem to have a very confused notion of how evolution works because people do not become literal different species in a couple of years because we're meant to think she is the owner, the original owner of the house who was a murderer's daughter. She would not be a different species in like 60, 70 years, y'all. I mean, she's pretty monstrous. <laughs> She literally had different type of skin that was like thicker. No, at least in the descent, that took some, that took a couple, like some hundreds of years. This is 60, 70 years. And she suddenly is like 6'10", buff as fuck as it though she just bench pressed <laughs> Dare people. they use metaphorical <laughs> horror. I can't believe you're taking this practical point to this kind of movie. <laughs> It would be more likely that she would evolve better to live in the conditions that she would live in because that's how evolution works. Incest included, that's not how that works. It's about showing physically the monstrosity of incest. Like it's not meant to be an accurate portrayal of Darwinism, I don't think. But that's why I said it's camp. I appreciate that there was enough lore to explain all of the different plot points of the movie because there was a lot going on. Um, but I didn't feel like I was being led in the dark. I felt like I knew what was going on throughout the film. And I think the girl's name was Tessa or did I make that up? I think just Tess. Okay, Tess in this film really was lacking a lot of common sense. To the sense of like, once I did the job interview, I would have went home. I would not have been like, I got to go back to my meet you at the Airbnb. I think that was a bad idea. But they had that gag and then she's like, nope. And she doesn't want to go in. But then she goes deep in the basement for Keith. The hag in this movie, as I said, doesn't make sense evolution wise. But I did think that the mothering that she wanted to do was interesting, especially because that's kind of what the that's what the killer was like conditioning to do them to do in the basement. Was it her son, her father? It's her father. I think it was more interesting that what she took away from her father being a serial killer was wanting to be able to be a mother rather than um, the violence against women because she's very caring to Tess and even saves her from the self-preserving misogyny of AJ. And I think his character was needed in this film because there's the contrast that I see Louisa noted of men who are trustworthy and men who aren't. And she's very skeptical when she first meets 
Keith and her guard is up. She doesn't want to drink the tea he's offering. She's like sitting far away from him until she feels safe. But also because Keith as a stranger was kind and wasn't a weirdo, it makes her a lot more instantly trustworthy towards AJ. And I think that was nice to see in the film because it kind of shows like as a woman how even when you meet a man who isn't a creep, you still have to have your guard up all the time because the very next one who you give the benefit of the doubt might fuck you over and literally throw you off of a tower to save himself and also be accused of sexual assault that he did do. Yeah. I want to go back to the hag point. I think that the hag depiction in this film, considering um, the hag genre as well from the films we've covered, just a little recap being that we've got various depictions of like, we have the origin of like, the hag subgenre, so to speak, in terms of Hollywood with Baby Jane. And then we kind of had certain depiction of hag in X. And now we have a, a, like a specific image where it's like, we're not even necessarily tied to the original lore of like the hag figure. We just have hag imagery as a way of shock value horror. Not to say that it's not commenting on stuff with it. I think it is, but I think it's very much like it's kind of like showing how women can't win because if like in um, if we've talked about like the horror of a postmenopausal woman is that she can't reproduce. It's a sight of like death. In this, she like so desperately wants to be a mother and it's like, well, this is horrific too, you know? Now it's monstrous because you're past the edge of childbearing and obviously there's incest, which is influencing some things. I won't deny that. Like the monstrous womb element, the whole corridors become very like womb imagery, as Barbara Creed would know, kind of like an alien, you know, where any kind of tunnel and imagery and stuff becomes associated with like subconscious vaginal or womb imagery. It's kind of similar here with the corridors and the dark, dimly lit. It's like that monstrous mother in the sense, or archaic mother in the sense of like fear of reincorporation. She's quite literally like kidnapping people and like keeping them as her babies. They have no identity. She's keeping them in their infancy. And it's like the whole space is like a metaphoric womb. So all of this is like interesting in that it's like a corruption of like what it means to be a mother. It's a corruption of the womb and it's transferred onto the image of the hag, but without this like even conscious association between that figure and like you know, a grandma or elderly, elderly woman. Do you know what I mean? It's like, now it's just a monster. It's been completely, it's kind of like the evolution's complete of the hag subgenre. And this is now just a hag absent of much of an origin story. I messaged Louise and I was like, I've started Barbarian and it's really scaring me. <laughs> I didn't know anything about this film. I also realized I thought that this and Malignant were the same film <laughs> somehow. But I didn't know anything about the film. And I was only in the first third when we, we were just interacting with Keith. I messaged Louisa and I was like, I'm scared. And then Louisa was like, do you know, you must know the plot twist. And I was like, oh, like I, and I thought the plot twist was I'd heard that it, like Keith ends up being the bad guy. And she was like, okay. So all of my fear and anxiety was at the beginning where she is essentially having to make, you know, very quick judgments on this man. She's having to use so much like mental energy to try and suss out the situation keep herself safe and I was just feeling a lot of like you know the anticipation of him turning out to be this villain and then funnily enough as we have this sort of first you know reveal a third of the way in where we see the hag and she gets goes to town on his head against the wall all of my fear dissipated and I was like 
fun wow cinema i i think i really like the structure of this film i think it's difficult to pull off and changes in tone and pace and i think it like did it really well and felt always engaging but like you said ty that it didn't leave stones unturned in a way that was like irritatingly ambiguous i think it just like had a really nice flow to it and then the hag element i mean you're right like obviously it is making monstrous of all the like hag elements we've talked about in the other two episodes but then the corruption as louisa said of motherhood i felt so much like sympathy towards the hag especially like i don't know the end you see how much he cares for tess and i don't know i think it as much as it really does lean into the more horrific exploitative depictions of older women and growing old in this sort of like you know exaggerated decaying body and saggy tits like don't get me wrong it does it but i kind of think it it does so in a way that i find forgivable in the context of the film and i think like ty you said the characterization of aj is pitch perfect and so i mean obviously it's timely but i think just it's it would resonate with with women and like tests you know experiences at the beginning having to having to have this sort of like hyper vigilance around men and even men who present themselves as as nice or as kind the nice guys are the, often the ones that you have to watch out for because as we see aj he oscillates between this sort of like deep self-reflection on oh my goodness am i a bad person to this like unbelievable selfishness arrogance delusion of his like innocence and that he's so deserving to live in spite of of tess like you know he said i had no choice in terms of like throwing her off the tat sacrifice her he was so succinctly written as a character i agree i think my favorite thing about the the thrills and chills of this movie was the tone shifts i thought they were insano like every time we were at like a climax scary moment there's like a hard cut to i don't know i think that's something that horror comedies do really well and this had that element to it without obviously being a comedy it is much more horrific i suppose but i think it's really interesting that we are doing this in the hags category and not the men category because it definitely could have gone in the men category um but i think that that is a bit misleading because oh when louisa you said to mila do you know about the plot twist and mila says oh it's that that keith's character is the villain like that was so obviously a red herring i mean i think i also didn't trust him i thought he would be like a villain but not the villain i thought he was trying to uh, the plot twist would be that like he was a bad guy and was trying to take advantage of her but also there's a monster in the basement or something in the basement like that's what i expected it to be and that he had no idea about the monster in the basement and not that he was a good guy but that he got caught by it first before he could take advantage of her that's what i was expecting the plot twist to be and then i would put it in the men category and it still is in the men category because obviously the evil man has been keep kidnapping women and putting them in the basement but it is a little bit of a spoiler that it's in the hags category because like from the first act of it i think there's three acts 
there's no sign of a hag. Like, where would a hag make itself known here? You know, I think this was a really great hag. I also had a lot of empathy for her, same as Mila did. And obviously, I'm not even sure I would classify her as, like, human. But, you know, I think she had human emotions. And I don't I don't know. I I don't think she was the bad guy. Obviously, she wasn't the bad guy. She was also a victim. But it sucks that she had to be the depiction of all things that we are afraid of. But we've been over that. I think all of that is still worth it. I love a hag. I don't think that means we shouldn't have hags in films. More hag films, I say. What was interesting to me about the two male characters in the film is that AJ is the one who I guess you would immediately feel more safe around because knowing that someone's a public figure, I think sometimes presents this false sense of security as though like they can't do something because they wouldn't want people to know about it. There's a perception of them that you know in a way that makes you feel falsely secure, especially if it's someone who you've seen on a TV show or seen some sort of media version of in the past. Just the idea of like how he presented versus like some random dude in the house that you were supposed to stay at is very different circumstances that would make you feel falsely secure. But he actually is the one who is dangerous out of the two of them. One thing that I didn't understand, though, is why when she sees Bill Skarsgård, she decides to bash his head in because she didn't even try to feed him the bottle. Like, maybe he would have complied. This film does an interesting job at humanizing the monster of the film and giving enough backstory to where it's just not like, ah, kill, kill monster. Like, I feel like sometimes films that do have the hag or the monster or some sort of, like, villain that is basically not human anymore do but I feel like her character is very humanized and you have a reason for why she is the way she is and what motivates her character to want to be a maternal figure the way that her character is with Tess to me is I think just the most interesting because when we get the backstory of her father picking up women and being a serial killer and we see that violence against women I think it was really nice to see that it wasn't carried out by in a cycle by mother's character as well and that she instead is quite maternal I was thinking about how I just did my little hag recap and I had like an interesting reframe epiphany in my head where I don't think this film well no it's true this film is the hag as a imagery as divorced from even the lore of an older woman like that's all true it is showing an evolution of that but I do think in this film in its problematizing of like and complicating of like who is the actual villain who is the actual monster I think it's actually trying to say the hag is not a site of horror it's like the horror is viewing women as like reproductive beings because actually she's not necessarily horrific because she can't anymore i mean it is made monstrous the violence comes from the fact that that was her whole life like being trapped in um the dungeon and like you know raped by her father and forced to reproduce like that's the horror so maybe it's like not the horror is not necessarily like on the hag so to speak it's more about like the the horror of like forced biological determinism so i thought that was like potentially an interesting reframe but we haven't all had that kind of perception i mean there is a billy walker for little white lies has quite um a negative view of this film, particularly talking about that breastfeeding scene. And they're saying how 
The clinching scene to induce terror being when AJ, Justin Long, an accused rapist, is forced to suckle from the sagging tit of the monstrous woman who has chapped him. It's supposed to be a punishment, but all I see is a reminder that even when men agree rape is wrong, the fear of being confronted with the aging female form outweighs the threat of male violence. Walker goes on to continue. I'm disappointed by directors who have taken Barbara Creed's The Monstrous Feminine as a blueprint instead of critique. This year's most anticipated horrors succeeded in having me writhe in my skin, but the reliance on the hag delivered a crushing blow. I don't want to see our bodies contorted, our wrinkles exaggerated, our breasts drooped. For cheap jump scares, the hags rise from the cinematic dead, and the popularity of the films in which she features serves as a tragic reminder that the fear of the aging women is deeply ingrained in our minds. We don't question her sudden appearance, we only scream as she emerges from the dark. I mean, I think there is something to be said about the cultural resurgence at this time. Interestingly, this article is focused on films that we've done recently, which is X. It's focused on Barbarian, and it also mentioned men. And if you remember that men had that pagan figure, Sheila Nagee, which was also the etymology of that and origin of that was also had associations with the word hag. And in the article as well, she says that like in that film, the monstrous feminine is evoked in the sense of like, you know, vagina as wound as transposed onto the men. Anyway, I think it's a really interesting article, but I do think that it depends on how you're viewing it because I think we all kind of watched it. And Mila, it's interesting that you said that your fear just evaporated at the introduction of Mother. This interpretation is assuming that you find like her presence scarier than AJ's presence, the sexual predator's presence, or Frank's presence even. We've done a lot of talking about how we think she's more of a victim and we think that comes across whereas maybe other people might interpret it as like oh we're displacing our fear onto the hag instead of the predators instead but I'm not sure if that's a universal truth for all viewers. In terms of what you were saying just now about Billy Walker mentioned that they thought it was essentially like um, a cheap use of a Credian trope rather than any sort of like critique or self-reflection on it listen that's more difficult to sort of argue because with horror with I mean with any art medium there's so many layers you have to dissect through to know not just the director's intent but how it's received like I'm not so interested in like figuring out whether this depiction of a hag is like categorically positive or negative but I do think that there's something to be said for the idea that this naked, exaggerate, you know, like sagging woman elicits fear is something inherently like misogynist. We can't like simplify it that much. Obviously, we've talked about all the ways that culturally women's bodies are placed. And then as they get older and start to go through natural aging, they're like seen as undesirable and completely useless. But there's also something that's inherently disturbing and monstrous about aging and dying and bodies changing nature is fucked up without society and culture ascribing these sort of like moralities to them i mean i think maybe the like incestuous plot line wanted to kind of amp that up i don't disagree that there's obviously some leftover misogyny in how this hag is presented because of it's relying on our sort of disgusted her body and her need to be a mother like obviously those things are presented in this like quite abject and disturbing way but I don't think it like I think it was fine to use it as this like plot twist jump scare like it fucking works like I think 
regardless of whether we fucking demonized and degraded women for aging and their tit sagging, I think that that would be scary regardless, that kind of image. But um, yeah, I think it's diff- it's really difficult. I don't know, like it's specifically more difficult than other tropes we've done to like unravel. Yeah, and this is also contextual because she's not just a lady who ages. She's, it's the horror of, fuck, how long have you been down there? Like, I think that really adds to it. And I think it's like we all said, that it adds to creating such a, a lens of sympathy for this character. She's a victim. And yes, it elicits a lot of the horror through her objection of like, and her female form, but like fucking no shit. It's a horrible thing to go through. I think horror would become very, very sad if we shied away from potentially like stereotypical tropes for the sake of making a commentary. And like, you know, I mean, there's always going to be a line like we've been speaking about this whole time between perpetuating a stereotype and as you're critiquing it. I don't know if it's possible to kind of critique it and not perpetuate it in this particular horror subgenre. But equally, it's like, even with like X, actually, I'm interested in films when they do make me think about something that I hadn't thought about before. And I think that is the point of horror for me. So it's like, yes, as long as I'm getting something out of it, as long as it's done with intention, with purpose, and I'm kind of a bit more forgiving of it potentially being made horrific as well. Like we've talked about a lot in relation to queer characters. On the Detroit thing, there was a quote from Sam Adams for Slate. Barbarian doesn't have to have an overriding thesis or big statement to make because its intelligence is intuitive. You can make what you like of the fact that Tess, who is black, has come to Detroit to interview for a job with a white documentary filmmaker whose latest movie is about jazz, that the only other significant black character in the movie is a homeless man who drags her out of the basement and warns her not to go to that bad place, that AJ is a gentrifier as well as an accused rapist, the subtext about racism and urban renewal, and toxic masculinity, Reagan-era paranoia, and its ramifications in the present day stays subtext, there to be mined by those who don't mind making ever-so-slight fools of themselves. I don't know what that last point is. But anyway, I guess we're fools who like to make ever-so-slight fools of ourselves. I think this movie is at least aware of using the setting. Like, it's not an Easter egg. Like, it's very much a part of the central conceit of the movie I would say and like it does at times hit you over the head with it like I think there was like a radio playing in the background like the implied white flight is not so much implied as like a plot point like the reason that this place is deserted and I do think it is connected to the aging woman like this was a Detroit was a city with a lot of potential and it you know is now this like aging place that everybody has given up on like it is the hag of the rust belt or whatever like i don't know it was a place that was like really fertile with opportunity and like you you can use that literally like i don't know i think okay fine that's all well and good i think that the director has done that with a lot of intention true noticeable it is the deeper intelligence of like the subtext or like the backdrop of what's going on i still don't like detroit as a site of horror movies just stop it leave detroit alone it is so fucking weird to depict a neighbor like yes are there abandoned neighborhoods in detroit yes are there abandoned neighborhoods in the majority black parts of most of this country yes like that is true of like the whole rust belt all of like towns in ohio and pennsylvania and shit like that like white flight affected everywhere 
it is not some one homeless man who's like been holding the fort down and like keeps all the lore like the magical negro who's like come with me i know exactly who that old hag in the basement is (laughs) like it's really silly and ridiculous to like tell people that like that's all that's left there very weird or that like gentrification is an issue in that like okay probably he bought that house for like a couple thousand bucks at most and like flipped it but like i give him credit for at least knowing the history of like okay there were these well-to-do also that neighborhood would not have been all white there were middle class black families middle and upper class black families in detroit and like that flashback that they do where they're like it's the 80s and look it's it looks like um the neighborhood in like Edward Scissorhands a little bit where like everything is pastel and the same. Like, like there were very like upwardly mobile white people who lived there and everybody laughed and it went to shit. But like it's that oversimplifies it to me. And I, it's yucky to me to like use as this like Easter egg, hyper intelligent, like plot point. Right. Like, I do think it is smart. And if maybe it's giving too much credit to say that it's related to the hag trope at all of like the failing city, that might be maybe even like a subconscious thing that's going on. But the fact of the matter is like this man has been able to fly under the radar because the movie implies that there's nobody who lives there. That's not true. Like, they would have investigated that house. Like, it is both a city that has like, yeah, a low population and it is the most over policed place in the world like you think the police would have just like let the missing people slide missing white women surely not that's unrealistic and i think to like make detroit like the site of apocalypse where like no police come and there is no help and no one can hear your screams a little over the top to me like do something else get more creative Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out. <laughs>